Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Here we are, the fourth and final instalment of the Anna Meredith appearance on Excuse the Mess. My name's Ben Corrigan, I'm the host of this podcast. This final part focuses mainly on Anna's album Fibs. I'd written out all the track names and put them into a bowl. Anna then picked one at random and then said the first thing that came to mind. So there's some fun little factoids about lots of the tracks off the album. Towards the end of this episode, we talk about Five Telegrams, an incredible large-scale work that she did for the opening night to the proms in 2018. And we also talk a bit about the music that she wrote for Bo Burnham's film Eighth Grade, which I highly recommend you go and watch, as well as the Paul Rudd Netflix series Living With Yourself, also with a soundtrack by Anna. As this is the final one, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to Anna. She's a massive inspiration to me and to many, and she was a brilliant, warm, funny podcast guest, and she has shared many incredible insights into her music, and I'll be forever thankful. I hope you've enjoyed listening to these episodes, and thank you very much for doing so. Let's get cracking with the final bit of conversation. So I've got this bowl of Fibs tracks. Pick a name out of the Mm -hmm. bowl, and a a little factoid or something. Callian. So Callian, I wrote, um, so I'd just been doing this eighth grade soundtrack, which is the first film soundtrack I'd done. And I was asked by Adult Swim, which is a like animation website, they commission or they curate a year of like new tracks. So I basically had to do it very, very quickly. But because I've been doing eighth grade, I was very much in the zone of the sound of those synths. So I wrote that very quickly. And uh, what else would be fun to say? The fun thing to say playing it live is that I've made that, there's like a big whaley synth solo, which I get to do live. And I feel like a yeah. sort of evil, like space lord. Because <laughs> I wield such great sliding power. Um, yeah, so that I really look forward to that Love moment. Because I'm just moment. like, I've just set it up that, you know, my fingers are just doing like octave, octave, but it goes like, beeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeee
that track. And mm -hmm. next, we like, oh, in fact, do it in an ASMR style. Oh, I see. Yeah. Ooh, is that doing it for someone? I bet it is. Okay. Limpet. So I have a weird thing with Limpet that I wrote it as I kind of balanced the rest of the album. We'd had all this kind of quite upbeat vocal stuff and then quieter vocal stuff and we'd had uh, like long gnarly instrumental things and then moon moons and I felt we needed the balance for me like I'm always thinking this kind of pie chart of the whole thing and I know a lot of people don't listen to albums like that or consider that but I'm thinking the whole time I guess in the same way that you'd probably think about an opera or a therapy so you'd be thinking yeah. there about a balance of stuff but I felt we needed like a little irreverent simple joyful sort of like high school garage track yeah. and it's really simple and some people really hate it and don't <laughs> don't like it and I mean well it's not quite become what I thought it would become there's a little guitar melody which I think is like one of the best tunes I've ever written okay yeah. and I feel really sad if nothing else that people don't just like that tune it's like it's such a great tune <laughs> um, it's like the tune that Jack plays in the second chorus if you're interested I was thinking like song too. I yeah. was thinking like you just need like a little um, simple, uncomplicated, joyful little thing. But I know that for other people it's so at odds with some of the other stuff that they don't get it. But for me it makes perfect sense. we're about to get that guitar melody that Anna was talking about. Killjoy. So Killjoy is sung by Sam. And what's a fun factoid about that? So a fun factoid, but this is a super secret factoid, she's going to be very cross with me telling you, is that um, for the BVs, the nananananas, is that one of the parts is actually Rachel, our manager. Is it? Yes, yes. So she's, yes. Um, partly because another great factoid, Maddie can't sing na 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 na. Could she not? She's, her tongue just won't do it. So That's she just hilarious. says na 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 <laughs> She just finds it very difficult. So, you know, we've spoken about, haven't managed to make this happen, about Rachel, like, on stage, sitting underneath my keyboard shroud <laughs> with a mic, like, doing doing Maddie's parts. Cause, you know, That's great. Could she not pop up for that? Na, 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 I, na, na, na. I'd be re Back I think down. these are all great ideas. I've suggested make she also plays flute. I was like, well, I definitely find a moment for your flute. She's a good pianist, you know, all the stuff. But so far she's quite adamant that up on stage is not where she belongs. But oh, that's a shame. yeah, so that's fun things about Killjoy. And it's about your, it's not someone else in the Killjoy, it's Killjoy is yourself. It's about like ruining your own fun or stopping yourself doing stuff.
Do a couple more. Okay. Inhale, exhale. Uh, as discussed, I already thought this is like the best pop song I've done. What was fun about this? The fun about the thing about writing this, well, like I've probably said earlier, is that it started life as a really slow version of what it's ended up as like half the speed, if not more. And that I have to give credit to Jack for coming up with, if you listen to it, you might spot that the second bridge, uh, as in the bit before the choruses, in between the first and the chorus, in the second one is extended, like the harmony just keeps sort of climbing up and the second chorus means that it's quite a bit higher than the first. And I was initially like, oh, no, it'll be fine, just go back to the, you know, go to the original one, you know, because I'm lazy. And Jack's the one saying, oh, come on, I think it'd be really good if it, like, just somehow climbed up. And that was such a ball ache trying to make harmony. I'm really crap at harmony. I think if you were someone who was good at... Because that, that piece is, like, in a key and stuff. And I don't really yeah. think in keys. I'm not someone who's thinking, of course, if it's yeah. in G major, therefore the six would be wherever. You know, I just don't have that world in my head. So working out this little chromatic progression chords-wise, knowing that if I was going to keep making the sequence continue in the chords it done, then it would be really easy. It wasn't. It took months. So that was something I really laboured over. Right. But I do think it's worth it. I think it's nice having that, like, little extension that pushes you. Yeah. So even, like, a chord sequence can be snail pace work. Right. For all my, like, chat about being slapdash, I do not like it if it's not right. Yeah. And I won't let it go till it's right. So... And also that's a very instinctive thing when I know it's right. So it's a kind of annoying combination of not really being able to articulate what's not quite right about it. And sometimes, you know, sleepless, yeah. horrible nights where I'm trying to work out how to fix a problem. And and then something that comes to me quite often in the shower or walking to my studio or something. Yes. But uh, yeah, I can spend ages working, just sorting out a problem. Yeah. Inhale, exhale has mm. such clarity and so many of them do in like the rhythm and the way that everything is kind of mixed, it's just so mm. clear. Good. When it's not working, I suppose you yeah. know about it. Yeah, when, when, you're, when you're relying on material that you want to be explicit, yeah. when you want the music to hang on, like, bones that you're shoving to the front, you need those bones. <laughs> My analogy starts to crumble. You, you know, you need it to feel really strong. Like, you can't mask this with them. You know, for me, this music is not about amazing production or, you know, unusual timbres or incredible texture it's about good crotches and quavers and not even a spe you know i've never thought of myself as especially experimental even though i get told i'm experimental you know or i'm classed as experimental but i don't think i'm experimental i don't think i'm someone who's setting out to experiment i'm just doing stuff under my own little parameters you do therefore feel that there's not like a concept that, is, that would excuse or uh, you know that would allow for some Decisions. It's not like okay. some other thing that would be like, well, I don't really get it, but I get that this whole thing is made out of the sounds of a carrier bag or something. You know, it's not like some yeah. uh, other technique or thing that makes it interesting. Yeah. It's just about notes and rhythms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's nothing I'm like to hide behind. I'm like a classical composer. Like I'm like Mozart. I mean, I'm not saying I'm like Mozart. <laughs> I'm like a shit Mozart. But, you know, it's just like it's no bells and whistles. 
it's, it's funny that you say you're not interested in the synth sounds mm. and whatnot because I love the synth sounds. Yeah. I do love them. I think maybe, to be honest, it's probably a protective thing. Like, I know that if I delve too deeply in, I'm worried that I might get a bit intimidated yeah. or a bit overwhelmed by all the possibilities. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I love the Simpsons. And, yeah. um, you know, I've got new plugins of stuff that I've used for fibs that I didn't use for varmints and new soft synths. That, and, yeah, I've foofed about looking for a preset or start you know, start with presets and find stuff I've liked and like save them in my little like ones I like folder. Yeah. You know, and then I'm like, oh that would really work with that kind of big like splashy ravey thing or whatever. I like the sounds. I just don't I wouldn't know how to craft them from scratch. Don't think it matters. And also uh, I think I heard someone else, another producer, I can't remember who it was now, mm. another producer, another composer. Mm. They love using presets wrong. Right. They love going to a preset mm. and whoever's designed it had a certain thing in mind. And okay. then being like, right, I think they want this to be cinematic, but then using it just in a completely uh, okay. different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I it's a good starting nice. point. I think it's a bit like, it's almost like someone you write a piece for violin. I'm not the kind of composer who, when I see a violin, is thinking, okay, I'm going to put tinfoil on strings and, you know, I'm going to detune everything necessarily. You know, I've done some of those things before, but I, most of the time I'm just trying to make the violin good. So I quite often am happy to get the broad sounds that I like. And then, yeah, I do tweak them a bit in quite an instinctive way. I can tell when things feel a bit high or a bit low or need a bit of reverb or that sort of stuff. But it's not very detailed tinkery. Like, if it doesn't work, normally I'm trying to create... This music's quite dense, so I'm trying to make sure there's enough clarity between layers. And sometimes it's not, sometimes there's just too much happening. You know, and I look at Emily's music and I think, oh, my God, bitch. She manages (laughs) to get such clarity and such economy and such, like, heartbreaking simplicity. And it's like, you know, I just can't seem to stop myself. That's Emily Hall she's talking about. They go way back, as you can probably tell. Emily also happens to be a previous guest on this podcast, episode three, if you're interested. I, I think, you know, the idea, for, you know, someone says to me, oh, great news, I've, I've found this old moog that you could have. I actually yeah. think my heart would sink. Yeah, I get that completely. Do you? Yes, yeah. I, I think it can be a real distraction. Mm. Yeah. I don't even, for me, it'd be like a whole new intimidating rabbit hole yeah. to dive in. And it's not going to help me write any better music yeah. than I know how to write. That's, that makes total sense. Yeah. Um, right, you can have two more. Can I have two more? Okay. And then let's talk about five telegrams. Or lock. <laughs> Cheating. <laughs> Cheating. Because I love it so yeah, much. Yeah, thanks. Um, so Orlock. Orlock is in one time signature the whole way through. I don't know if you spotted that. It's in one? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I've worked it out. I've have written. you? Yeah. Oh, do, you want me, do, you want, do you want to hear it? Yeah. All right. What does that mean? What have you worked out? Sextuplets falling in groups of four. Oh, okay. And then uh, that establishes a four-four feel. Indeed. And then Slim Shady riff comes in in quaver Which pulses. That? Dun, 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 oh yeah, that dun, one. Dun, right. Dun, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Slim Shady comes in, uh, <laughs> and then that becomes the four-four. Yeah. It cuts. Mm. And then those sextuplets come back in, but yeah. in their groups of four. Yeah. Correct. That sounds good. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. I mean, basically, it's like. <laughs> I think some people think there's lots of really complicated... I mean, it's just it's in the whole track, it's just in 3-4. It's just like a big, you know, so when we play it, there's just like a big 3-4 click. What else is interesting about that? At the end of the track, there's a singing moment, and it causes us as a band huge stress. I don't know what it is, like, none of us are amazing singers, but it, this should be really easy to sing this thing, and yet we find it unbelievably stressful. And when we've been, it's been nice when we're doing it with orchestras, we've made them sing as well.
think it'd be nice for you to hear the singing bit at the end, so I'm just going to skip along. I'm enjoying these. Okay, go on then. Oh, divining. I love divining. It's got like a really lovely shape to it. Uh, well, it's just a big build. That's hence the lovely shape. I think it's Sam's favourite track on the album. And we haven't played it live yet. Again, probably out of a slight insecurity thing that some people, you know, people aren't raving about it in the same kind of... Um, it's brilliant. I think it's a really strong song. Yeah. It's really beautiful. I think the words are quite good. I think it's, you know, good words. And I sing it with Sam and Jack. We spent an awful long time in the, in the recording of it to try and make our voices, not to say blend colour-wise, but to make sure that, the, maybe lots of people would do this, but it just took such a fucking long time to make sure that we were saying the words in terms of length of words. So there was like tons of like, no, you sang the word, you know, you're with a semi-quaver. You know, we spent yeah. ages to make it wow. feel quite kind of unified. But yeah, I believe that if we keep touring this year and if we manage to like spin out another UK tour out of Fibs, I think it'd be great to add it, to add it down the line. Yeah. yeah. What you were just saying there about the the precision of mm. the length of the words right. in the liner notes. Did I read this to you earlier? No. Months and months and months of eyeball-twitchingly detailed work. Yeah. I think what you just said there kind of encapsulates right. now, gives yes. me a sense of what you meant by that. Yeah, I mean, it's loads of work that we've agonised over, and I'm sure everyone does make an album that where you're like, oh, I just don't, you know, I don't know if this is the right. Yeah, it was so... that Doing the vocal for that took weeks and weeks and weeks, like, of trying to match each other in terms of... And we were different accents and female voice and two male voices, yeah. but just like in terms of delivery. Sometimes I hear like, I feel like, you bastard, you did this, st-, you know, a fraction later. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's as unified or as group vocal as we could do it in the yeah. time.
Okay, yeah, great. Ah, yeah, Paramore, I know. Um, oh, good. Paramore. So, I think this whole thing, there was some stuff that I knew I had to shape, and I knew I wanted a halftime thing, and I knew I wanted a fast thing. I think, like, I've got a book that's like my Fibs notebook where I was like, you know, had this sort of pie chart of the balance of the whole thing, and I, you know, I knew fast instrumental, and like, I knew I wanted a chunky, solid instrumental, like Bump, and like a delicate one, you know, all that sort of stuff. Or I think it was like, instrumental heartbreaker mood moods you know that sort of thing but yeah I knew I wanted something that was like rocketing out the gates and I think I just had the little chord sequence and I sort of built the shape out of that and then it does a lot of things that I like to do in lots of different pieces like little um in the b section the boo-doo where yeah. ideas just happen it's like a little cannon one yeah. that plays once and then the bass line does it one beat later and then a higher thing squeaky thing does it that's the thing and i i like those sorts of they happen all over the shop and stuff i write um and also the stressful thing for me is that it's the most clarinetty things i've got recording it again was painstaking because I'm getting better at playing it, but the little tiny clarinet moment, which is after the sort of first big build and it drops down, yeah. it's a little. If you saw the cut and paste job Jack had to do on that, it was absolutely <laughs> disgusting. Like I don't think there's any more than like two or three notes continuous. Clean as a whistle. Good editor. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, he worked his arse off on that. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that also was quite fun is at the moment when we're doing it live, we have added space for like preposterously indulgent drum fills for Sam. Like oh more. yeah. With yeah. the beams and lights. Oh yeah, the yeah. beams and lights. Yeah, so it's um, yeah, just like adding more space for big, indulgent long breaks. Oh, it's brilliant. Mm. Yeah, and why not let Sam have his? Let him have his beams. moment. It's not like he hasn't got enough, you know, <laughs> attention or drama. And I, yeah. I was wondering if that was for him because that's quite a big, like, basically like a big drum solo. And I feel like that when in, when we're playing that track and it comes towards that clarinet moment, like I can feel my heart racing and it's like stump, it's like I'm freewheeling towards the edge of a cliff and I can't stop and it's coming and it's coming and it's oh my god and then it's like and then I just like fluff my way through it and then it's done and does it? I wonder if that's like it for him or maybe like Maddie with mood moons in the set, it's like suddenly like a yeah. lot of focus on one person. So and Jack used to feel that with it, yeah, our type solo and he he's got his big vapors tapping thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I think there's maybe like moments of like white knuckled terror on the roller coaster yeah. for each of us. It's not yeah, it's not an easy job, it's real roast sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's not an easy play and you have to really concentrate and it's it's tiring. There's no like kinda half assing your way through it really. Yeah. You've gotta just like go for it.
like you're on a quest to make the most intense build possible mm. in your music. I mean, my friends have cut from talk about the Meredith build. Yeah. It's like, oh, here we fucking go. And yeah, but I, I think a build is a really satisfying thing to write. And, you know, that's one of the best things about like dance music yeah. is that feeling of, it's like, you know, orgasmic feeling. You know, it's like that kind yeah. of o- overwhelming feeling of, and the, when you make that transparent process, when it's like, hop on board, folks. Um, yeah, I, I, most pieces in some capacity have some kind of build to them. Yeah. I mean, some pieces like Nautilus mm. feels like it is just a build. Right. Yeah. But not in the sense that it goes quiet to loud. It's just like we're just somehow adding more and more things. Yeah. And it's amazing. So like you feel like you've reached the top. And in other tracks as well, you feel like mm. you've reached the top and then you do something else. You're like, we're still building. Quite often, How? yeah, I write these sort of rocket shapes that look like rockets quite often that have like a mini build and then a flat line and then a sub thing that comes from the middle. And then because you can add, you can take what feels, you, you make like a fake peak. Yeah. And then you take something that's been like in the middle of the texture and sort of use that to uh, sort of push outwards from the middle. Okay. You know, that sort of stuff helps. Amazing. If it's been there, if it's been there all along, I think it feels more natural than just like slapping a new thing. Yeah. Oh, sometimes you can do yeah. it as well. But. Is it often like, so that the final biggest point, mm. which is the real biggest point, mm. do you often reverse engineer things yeah, to build up to sometimes, that? Sometimes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, both ways. Sometimes I like know and I hear it and I know what I need to do to make it more. Or I'll have sown the seeds of stuff that I know is going to grow into help propel stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or I start from Max and think like, haha, how can I make you feel mm-hmm. like this is maxed out? But it's not really. <laughs> You're evil. Evil. It, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. And um, yeah. Shepherd Tones. Is right. that like something in your mind, even if you're not necessarily? No, I mean, I, I only found out of a Shepherd Tone quite recently. And it's really cool. I mean, you just Google it. Um, I've been telling people about it for quite recently. And I realised I've been spelling it wrong the whole time I've been telling people about it. But. Yes, this idea of, of this constantly rising, you, your ear latches onto these high frequencies that then get quieter and quieter, and then your ear, and then lower ones take their place, so it does feel like it's constantly climbing. This is a shepherd tone. I mean, I, I'm definitely not like trying to do it in any literal scientific way. Like, I wouldn't even know where to begin to sort of actually replicate the sound wave detail of it. But I like the idea. I thought for Sawbones, so the first track, I was thinking of how do I so the, the rising bassline, which is a sort of nod to the Nautilus rising bassline, but a more like frenetic version. A note will spin down the octave and then another one, so it does feel like it gets higher and lower at the same time.
I love that um, in not just the live shows but in the albums as mm. well. Like you, you can't quite hear sometimes where the synths begin and the instruments yeah, end. Yeah. Like that kind of crossover is really nice. Just. I think it it feels fine to me, and I don't mind that you know. So in Bump, there's real tuba and lots of fake brass, and I have no problem with that. Yeah. I know some people would find that kind of unholistic and they'd want it just to be tuba. Yeah, to me. There's like live versions and electronic stuff and they mix together and there's fake instruments and real instruments and fake versions of real instruments and yeah. who cares? Yeah. I think it's kind of where I've got to at that. Yeah. It's definitely the right attitude, mm. surely. Surely, who cares? I mean, uh, like, well, or, if it or, works, it works. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a Purism band. and all of that stuff is like, no, oh, come he's on. He's got time for it. Yeah, so you're blending in, I guess, like sample library yeah. sort of things. I mean, yeah. done very, well, very badly because I don't really know what I'm doing, but that's how I've done it. Nautilus is all fake brass. Yeah, exactly. Like Nautilus yeah. is a great example, but mm. it's part of your sound. Yeah, right. And that means that then you can add real brass and or real instruments to it. And it totally. Um, we could go on forever. No, I mean, no. Do you feel like there's any tracks that you were like no, got a real good I nugget mean, of information about this one? Um, I told you about Good Moon Moon's nugget about the, the chords, the yes. big compression thing. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what my great other great tunes are. Um, Unfurl has wine glasses in it. That was really nice. We record all the like synths. I mean, it's got some synths, but it's also yeah. got Sam tuned all these wine glasses, which was really, really nice to to play too. They're not in from the start, are they? Yeah. Is that the big warm sound? It's That's... it's the glassier sound on top of the warm sound. Right. Okay. Okay. But they ha- yeah. he is doing chord little two <sighs> two and three of the chords. It's really it's really nice. Lovely. Lovely. And and I think again I had this vision for live that maybe we'll do it one day when we all have wine glasses and we're beautiful. But <laughs> I think it's asking a bit too much of my singing right now. But one day. I don't want to not ask you the others now. Well, quick, I don't, quick, maybe I'm not having... Okay, I'll give you just one sentence. We've sort of talked about so bump, talked about we? bump. Um, the first sound to me, the sounds like the word bump. Bump. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, great. Uh, Moomins, I think done we're... That, yeah. We're dead. Done that, uh, Unfurled. Yeah, done that. that. Ribbons. Ribbons is, is, to me, I think it's, it's all about anxiety, so nobody's yeah. really picked up on that, but the words are all like this idea of... A version of yourself you know that feeling of detachment of like like the world sort of passing by and you can't quite get the energy to do anything about it so i was trying to sort of tap into that I, yeah. and i really i think it's a really nice song i think it's tom's favorite maybe Whoa. 
next piece we're going to talk about is Anna's BBC Proms commission from 2018, a very vast piece called Five Telegrams. And I'm not going to include any of the music from that, but I would highly recommend going to YouTube and searching for it because there's an amazing visual element to the whole thing. And the music is, of course, brilliant. So here's what Anna has to say about it. Five Telegrams. Yep. If we're going to focus on one of your classical mm-hmm. pieces, yeah. may as well talk about yeah. the most Big insane one. scale yeah. piece yeah. that I've seen in ever. Living I don't memory. know. Yeah. <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, do you want to talk about the piece? So, this was a commission that initially was just, just, she says, to open the proms and to open the Edinburgh Festival. And it was going to be in partnership with 59 Productions who do visuals, but especially projection mapping onto buildings. And they did like Olympic opening ceremony, so you know, big scale stuff. And then add into the mix a bit later on, after I was sort of like, oh, okay, yes, I should, oh, okay, I really should do this. A third commissioning party would be 1480 Now, who were commissioning all these World War One centenary art events, art things. So, you know, can it be about the First World War? So that was the, like hodgepodge of absolute terror I was faced with. Yeah. I mean, like, just right. so daunting. And then once you add in something that's, like, complicated and nuanced and sensitive and problematic as a war, you know, whereas normally I'd, you know, I'm writing stuff in these, like, tiny parameters of my own defined stuff and trying to, like, swim your way through and find a way to contain that was really difficult. Yeah. How do you even begin? Yeah, it was really difficult. So the visual guys are really great. And one, I was so glad that they were going to do this projection onto the outside, that it wasn't just, you know, the al- inside the Albert Hall is, you know, amazing, etc. But it's not a great place for visuals. It's so busy mm. and there's, you know, maroon everywhere and gold. And it's not somewhere... They did amazing visuals inside, given what they were working with. But the outside thing... They weren't like a small screen or apologetic or we'll sit in a park and put a big screen. It was this like vast building with huge colours, you know, and they went to, you know, they closed the fucking road and got like cranes. It was, it was huge, a huge thing. And yeah, finding way in, I was really lucky that Rich Slaney, who's one of the, well, who kind of directed, the oversaw the visuals, you know, it's a big team of animators, but he was the guy I worked with most. Um, he's a musician and he really wanted me to do it. I think maybe actually they came to 59 first and then said, who do you want to work with? So he, you know, when I was all, um, several points along the way saying, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Cause I, I knew it, for me, it definitely couldn't be the lone bugle and the sepia horse. Like, you know, yeah. it, had, it couldn't be that take on World War One. So I, we spent quite a lot of time. And again, I was a bit worried about kind of, to my shame, didn't know very much about First World War. And I was a bit worried that, again, once I started to look into it, I mean, how, I didn't know if that would even help. Yeah. Like, it's huge. Yeah. And awful. So mind-bogglingly awful. I think I knew that I wanted to do multiple short movements. I knew that you know, it suits me generally better. I'm not, like, big long-form person, but with concise, characterful, semi-miniatures. These are, like, five, five-minute pieces that ends up. Um, so I knew that I was looking for things that would be strong ways in. And we ended up, which wasn't very catchy, but looking at ways that communication happened... And not the content of the communication, so not love letters or telegram content, but some of the processes of the communication. So one movement's called redaction. Immediately when I saw some redacted stuff, or I suppose even just thinking about redaction, to me it writes itself as music. It's like you set up a musical phrase and then over time you cut a bit out of it or you obliterate a bit out of it with something else and over time the redaction gets more and more and more till it's more redaction than non-redaction and it's almost like my shoulders drop yeah. and I was like oh that just writes itself yeah. sort of you know 
So that's one process, or another one was called codes, and it was just like thinking of binary on-off systems of layers of, of information, and it was process-driven, but in a non-technical way, like there's some very slim yeah. aspect of process rather than content. So it was super daunting. I wasn't even thinking about the whole kind of first night of the proms, critics, promsness of it. I was just so petrified by the how will it work? And there's also a weird thing, which is a very classical thing, where a lot of the sign-off is to do with the conductor. So, huh. like, almost at the top of the whole tree is, is the conductor cool to do this? You know, it's kind of interesting. Like, it's this very classical orchestra thing. And so, like, this conductor hadn't used a click before. So three of the movements were yeah. to click, so all the visuals line up and stuff. Yeah, okay. But it's obviously still not very much part of a lot of classical repertoire. And how many musicians were you writing for in the end? I honestly don't know. There was like, you know, I think I was banding around these numbers that were highly inaccurate about how many people there were. Yeah. Thousands of, you know. It was a really big orchestra. Yeah. Plus the National Youth Choir of Great Britain, which is, I don't know, hundreds of them. I can't remember. Maybe a couple of hundred. Plus these guys called the Proms Youth Ensemble, who, you know, maybe that's not probably not very obvious from the YouTube thing, but there was these guys these young players who I wanted so there's, young, there's a group of young players that kind of feature in each movement so in the first movement there's a bunch of I think 12 trombone players teenage trombone oh, players yeah. who stand or behind the orchestra and they mm. sort of drive a lot of the and they all did it from memory and that was great and then the second movement which is the it's the single one yeah. it's like the National Youth Choir third one is this redaction one and that had which you don't see on telly but that had a bunch of four euphoniums who were standing up at the back in the balcony doing a nice little chorale at the end right. fourth moon was the codes one and so in the boxes either side of the stage there was like a bunch of you know snare drums on either side bass drums on either side cymbals on either side uh three trumpets on either side you know that's the thing so a little like military that were a little you know small brass ensemble on each side and they kind of hock it back and forth is what I was going for with that yeah. and then the last movement they all play so when we did it in Edinburgh it was quite cool because we used the recording from London but we added live stuff on top so the brass players were around the place like in the Edinburgh was much bigger it was like 20,000 people but they also did this cool thing for the choir movement where they worked with the fashion department of Edinburgh College of Art and they made these amazing sort of they wore like the capes that the soldiers wore and they uh, added designs to them and they had these little pop-up stools, the choir, so it was a big choir, and they were like all individually, all around the audience, and they would just like put the stool out and stand up and had a light and, you know, sang. Oh, cool. Lot. So it was quite a little pop-up moment. Simple, but very yeah, effective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And actually, I really enjoyed that one because the recording's done and I didn't have to, yeah. you know, it was just like... Do you get stressy on the night of a performance? I am quite stressed, yeah. and I'm stressy on gig nights as well. Yeah. I'm fine when it's just happening, like during gigs it's just like happening and I'm quite fearless, yeah. and it's just I'm in it, but I'm quite insufferable before, like just pacing <laughs> about and wringing of hands and yeah. being really impatient with my like, mum or whatever, like, I'm quite <laughs> a bit of a horror, I think. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too 
like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah. Is it not a little bit overwhelming? Like, A, you've written this piece. It's about this huge topic. And then you're there in the space at this quite big annual event. And you've also been tasked with Mm, this spectacle yeah huge spectacle i think yeah i mean the the sort of pressure of it kept escalating in some ways like the new things or i have a another part of my badass compositional like uh armory not really armory just like the things toolbox is that i am in basically this complete denial when i'm writing i'm never thinking is this tune I'm coming up with now good enough for the thousands of people and the respect uh-huh. for the war? You know, I'm okay. just thinking on the job in hand. Yeah. And I'm able somehow to not in that moment be, because otherwise you'd be totally paralysed yeah. and never be able to do it. And and I think I sort of, you know, I hadn't wanted to write any orchestral music for a while and I've you know, done a fair amount and, and I know I can do it, but... I have found some of it not that rewarding or okay. you know, a bit disconnecting. Yeah. And I knew, I felt I could write a really good orchestra piece. So I was kind of up for it, but I knew it would be, you know, a huge job. And, you know, with this sort of size of forces. But I wasn't thinking too much about the kind of pressure of the spectacle. I think, to be honest, I think mostly just felt like huge relief. You know, that it worked and I liked the music and that the visuals look great and that the sunlight the whole thing. There was times I was just like hooting with glee, like yeah. watching it. Like it was so... Did you make it to the park? Did you see the park? No, I didn't. I didn't. I was, I'm ashamed to say that I wasn't there physically. Oh. I've, I've watched it. I know. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, yeah. it was also like they could have... Uh, such a shame. Like they, there was something they had to give free. There wasn't that many people. They could have, you know, if only, I think now, if I think, God, that was such a huge thing. And it's a few thousand people. But, you know, in terms of ch- not my, for my music, just like yeah. what an amazing free spectacle. Yeah. I really regret not going. Oh, I well, do. It yeah. was, it was brilliant. And just in terms of, you know, forgetting the music, just yeah. in terms of a thing to like sit on those steps and with this quiet road in front of you. And they, you know, it was really loud which I loved. Yeah. And it was like absolutely like visceral and just like quite overwhelming just in terms of like the sheer spectacle of the whole thing. But mostly I was just hugely relieved. Great. Um, to bring it back into the box, yeah. I'm just quite curious when something is of that scale mm. and you're the composer that's been commissioned, do you nowadays have to mock up what you're writing? Like an orchestral mock up? Um, I did for that. Well, I didn't do it, but yeah, they wanted it, the visuals guys. Yeah. So they had some guy that I think Nico Muley uses, really right. lovely guy who's an American guy who, you know, I sent the Sibelius to. Again, that's a whole skill that I, you know, I think I sent them like, here, how about this? And it's all, yeah. I, I work in general MIDI. I don't even have Sibelius sounds. I'm still Sibelius 6, which I need to 
apparently updates it's gonna well no, it's gonna die next time i update my mac but um avid oh, avid twats yeah are they yeah. i know i sense it Terrible. well are you sibelius yeah but i've had to upgrade because i've worked with so many different people oh. i need to be the most current just to, to not have to ask them like can you send it in yeah. six which i was in yeah yeah so I'm terrified about the jump. I it's just, not too bad. Is it not? It's not too okay, bad. Okay, okay. And you appreciate some new features. As oh, well, okay, I okay. I just can't yeah. be asked. But. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Just the time. I'm too old. Yeah. But um. You know what works. I know. Yeah. I'm happy with my little my setup, but um, because for me, like having shit stabilia sounds. And I suppose this isn't very helpful for anybody else. I'm able to make the leap to thinking about real orchestra to listen to the shit orchestra and be like, oh, that'll be fine. Yeah. And similarly for band stuff, like I think if I can make stuff sound good in Sibelius, yeah. then I'm not worried about the next stage. So I think I probably sent them like, yeah, yeah, sure, here you go. And they were like, uh, <laughs> can we get someone to do like a proper yeah. thing? Like, oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, okay, um, interesting. I was just curious about yeah, that Yeah, and one. I think they even actually got, we did get a choir I think that was part also used for a trailer or something, but they did get a little small uh, young professionals choir to record the vocal movement. So they, yeah, gave themselves a better... I mean, I suppose there's a bunch of people working and their artists off in this piece, probably to that midi would have driven them mad. So yeah, maybe yeah. Conf- they, maybe they needed something a little bit confident. That's it, yeah. 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 Don't worry, guys, it's going to be all right. It won't sound <laughs> like that. Kind of yeah, well, I mean, like, in film, mm. you wouldn't get away with, like... No. I'll just see you in the studio yeah. on, yeah, because it's always so close to the release yeah. day often anyways. But, hey, I've just accidentally segued into oh, a film on TV. Very clever. No, it was an accident. Um, <laughs> let's do it. Let's mm, talk about sure. it. Eighth grade. Mm. Did you like it? Loved it. It's good, isn't it? It's a good film. It's an incredible film. Just heart palpitating. But so sort of unassuming I think when I've described it to people you know there are so many films like I don't know super bad type things that mm-hmm. are about awkward teenageriness and when you sort of describe it you know it's about a sort of semi quite normal very actually very well-meaning warm uh, normal 13 year old and her last week of middle school as she contemplates high school you know it doesn't it doesn't sound that great or yeah. it doesn't sound that exciting and I think quite often it was billed as a comedy and I don't I find it as heartbreaking yeah yeah like, same yeah so yeah, it was. Um, I wasn't didn't know what quite what it'd be like when I got involved, but I was really. Well, I feel now hugely proud to be mm-hmm. part of it, and really, I think lucky to have had Bo Burnham, who is really musical and wanted music to be. Because since I've been asked to do lots of films about teenagers, and I haven't done any, uh, but um, you know, as you might expect, and quite often a lot of those films have said, "Yeah, your music's really strong," and I, I love that. It's great. It's really great. It's really strong, but. Um, for our thing, I was wondering if you could do something like a bit more like a sort of bed, and then we've got this great <laughs> Katy Perry track. We're going to, you know, that sort of thing. And so, you know, I like that he wanted the strength, yeah. and he wanted it to feel dominant, and it's really loud in the mix. Way more than most films that yeah. you'll watch. Right, like, it's like a real character. I don't think I'd fully appreciated how unusual that is. Um, yeah, your people since said like, you know, it gives the music so much space. I assume that he was a fan of yours. I think he went looking for a slight yeah. shopping list of stuff. Like he wanted a classical composer yeah. who was working in electronics, who maybe hadn't done a film before, who maybe was a woman, but who had warmth. He said that, that was really okay. important to him. Like he wanted someone who used electronics in like a warm way. And yeah. then, you know, so by the end that starts to feel like, well, that's not really that many people. It isn't, no, <laughs> no exactly. So, yeah, saying yeah. you're a little bit unusual in electronic mm, departments right. um, with all this other background as well. 
So I assume that he really liked Nautilus and yeah. other tracks of yours, mm. Honeyed Words, yeah. it's on there. Wooded Endron, yeah. I guess he's putting them on the film, like, right, it's time to get in touch with Anna. Let's I think get some he, bespoke. I think he definitely knew he was going to use Nautilus or wanted to use Nautilus. He had some other stuff. There was a very well-known producer who he wanted the opening track. He was, you know, and Bo's got great taste and listens to tons of music. So he was quite like, you don't need to write this opening track because I've, I've already cut it to edit the whole opening, you know, where she wakes up and puts on her makeup and goes to school and walks through class, you know, all this stuff to this other track. And I remember being like, I can, I can do this. You know, I, I've, okay. I've got this and let me try. Oh, cool. And I'm, and that's one of my favourite tracks is that first one. You know, What's it called on the it's is called, it being, he's given being confident might be I can like never remember his names now I get a bit yeah. It's the first it's the one that's like doo 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 doo. Turns out it's called Being Yourself. Most of it was written with him there. He came to London for eight days. You were in the same room? Well, he would, yes. Yeah, so we he came to London, it was like really close to deadline. And we'd done right. a little bit since that remotely. And I'd never really done it. So I was like sending stuff back and like, you know, okay. I think this is good. And then he came to London and then would like come to my studio into yeah. the room and we'd talk a bit and then I'd make him go away or he'd sit on his phone for I was going to say, personally, I'd be like, get the fuck out. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. I mean, a horror of having to sit. Yeah, what? horror. I mean, you're very, very fast, but I would have to say, like, don't, don't look at me, you know, because yeah. he, he might say, can that be a bit this? And I'd be like, yeah. maybe. Yeah. I have no idea how to do it. <laughs> um, yeah, but he came for a week and I wrote like my arse off. Like it was just, yeah. I just wrote so quickly. And mm. then there was, you know, a bit of stuff after that, but yeah. it wasn't, I think, compared to hearing about other people's films, you know, you hear those horror stories of people spending months, years writing stuff and then someone ditching it at the last minute. Yeah. And I don't know how you'd live with that, but well, I was really lucky. It's interesting that you weren't allowed to spend so much time with mm. something as you would normally. Mm. Was it a different result in the end? Like the music is for a different purpose, yeah. but like... Do you well, think... the brevity really helped, you know, yeah. nothing's that long. You know, most stuff's just a minute. Yeah. And so I didn't have that kind of developmental thing sure. that normally I'm spending a lot of time making sure the pacing of development is right. Yeah. So sometimes I didn't have to do that. I just had to find a way to round off an idea nicely. Yeah. 
you know, a few times I had to scale things back. You know, he just was like, it's a touch too dominating, you know, and I'd take it back in whatever way, a tiny bit. But, you know, he had really clear ideas of when things should start, you know, and it'll be things people wouldn't even notice about, like when a hand touches the floor or when, uh-huh. yeah. you know, the camera switches to this, or you see her eyes for the first time or whatever it is, you know, really, you know, really precise points. And, and he was also very sensitive, which I've had in other times where people aren't where... You know, I'd say, like, oh, it's really difficult because the cycles don't, the chords won't line up if you want it to stop there. And mm-hmm. he'd be like, okay, I'll, re- you know, I'll make that work. This was his first yeah. feature, right? Yeah. I like his style. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. He's, and he's so, you know, he's like young and funny and like um, disgustingly talented. And obviously huge, like huge. I, to my shame, didn't know much about him before, but, mm. you know, he couldn't be more famous. I, I, I feel very lucky that he got in touch with really. It's a good combo, mm. the two of you, mm-hmm. I'd say. Yes. A few fanboy things from me about it. The first track, I think there's a later track called Midi, which is like the Conlon Nancaro yes. version Isn't it? or something. That's the Sibelius. That's is the that gen- straight out of Sibelius? Yeah. So he was saying like he thought the record, which didn't actually ever really get released, but I have a few vinyls of, mm. that it should have like additional stuff, behind the scenes stuff. And he said, wouldn't it be cool if it just had the piano version of that track? It's great. And I was initially like, well, that's a terrible idea. But, um, yeah, it's quite fun. And actually, it then is. other people have gone touch specifically about that. Either thinking they play it, like, absolutely not, it's at 5,000 hands. <laughs> um, the credit music, which I think is called Red, Blue, Green, or Red, Green, Blue, or something like that. Because they were going to use someone else's music for the credits. And I think that's quite normal. Sometimes they have, like, a random other person's stuff. Yeah. But it wasn't working, maybe. I think they said, yeah, the whole thing by this point just felt like it was so in my world that they yeah. didn't didn't work. So it was like Christmas Eve. I just remember like writing the thing in my parents' house, like up in my old teenage bedroom, on a tiny like two octave MIDI keyboard, like on Christmas Eve and then sending off Christmas Day and it's like and I was just like on be like, yeah, sure, here it is, boff. <laughs> and, and I really like it now. I think I was just sort of in a it had to be done, it had to be decided, so there was yeah. no time to faff. It was just yeah. like getting it done. Is there is there maybe more to come? I know these things come with NDAs a lot of the time. Yeah, there's not, well, not with him at the moment. I mean, we're occasionally in touch and, yeah. you know, I never want to abuse 
you know, would never want to pester him. You know, I hope we get to work together again, but you know, he's got, I'm sure, much more famous. And, and yeah, there's lots of things, films that have been offered, and there's basically no big film thing in the pipeline right now, or nothing that's felt quite right, or yeah. I've had time for. One, I feel too busy, so sort of like, I don't even know what I'd do if the perfect thing did yeah. come up happen right now. But, you know, I hope I get to work with him. And actually then the guys that work for the Netflix thing, um, you know, I've been really lucky in that those two big projects were both the people who really care about music and liked my music. So I felt in safe hands and I think I'm just quite wary yeah. about, well, yeah, I want to make sure it's somewhere where I've got space to do the right thing. Yeah, they come to you for you rather than, yeah. And in well, fact, that's something I noticed. Yeah. There's no temptation in any way for you to be like, oh, I'm doing a film, I should bring out my string sounds right. now or whatever the kind well, of cliches I've been thinking though I suppose it's difficult that if someone wanted I don't have the skills at the moment to put in good sounding fake strings I don't know how to do it so it's fine just now when they want electronics or you know if they maybe wanted an instrument I could you know, work out how to record a real instrument and that sort of thing but I know that maybe down the line it would be a good thing to learn how to do that properly but it feels a bit Pretty easy skill. Is it? Yes. Oh. It's easy. Oh, okay. Just get the better samples. Is that the Spitfire? Spitfire? I've got some Spitfire stuff, yeah. but I, I need somebody to show me how to use it. It's easy. It's it. Yes. <laughs> you don't even need anyone to show no, you. No, I really do. You won't believe that. <laughs> insane. You're hearing Moon Moons, and this is also the end. I'm amazed at how much podcast gold was mined from Anna across just that one day. I hope you haven't felt like it's too much. Even if you just dipped in and out, that's still brilliant. And thank you for doing so. I hope that there was a few lessons in there that you can take away and apply to your own music making. And to those of you that have checked out every instalment of Anna's feature on this podcast, then you are the elite podcast listener and I am eternally grateful. Follow Anna on her social media at Anna H. Meredith on Twitter and Instagram. Visit excuse the mess etmpodcast.com and my Twitter handle is at etmpod, Instagram is etmpodcast. It'd be lovely if you wanted to share this podcast episode with anyone else that you think might enjoy it. Thanks to Arts Council England, PRS Foundation, and Isotope Audio for supporting Excuse the Mess and to Acast for hosting. This episode has been an epic, but it has been my total pleasure to put it all together. Anna, thank you. You're a living legend. Thank you for lending your brilliantness to this podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks again and keep safe, everyone.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money. 